audio check. On this episode, I interview a pharmacist in Canada and we talk about all the new legislation around uh, U.S. importing drugs from Canada. Hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone. This is RX Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Waith. And I have today with us our Canadian correspondent, Brandy. Welcome back to the show. Hey, so good to be back. Thanks for having me. So Brandy is a pharmacist in Canada. And um, if you look back to some earlier episodes, you'd get to check out our episode that we did kind of comparing the practices of pharmacy in the U.S. versus pharmacy um, in Canada. And it was a really interesting conversation. So I really implore you guys to go check that out. But today, uh, today's going to be a different type of conversation. Um, recently, there's been some announcements of um, Florida. So I'm in Florida, um, specifically Florida recently is pushing some legislation to import drugs from Canada to try to combat drug pricing, um, high drug costs. But there's a lot of other states in the nation that has similar legislation that they're either proposing or drafting or have already approved. And there's a lot of talks from the White House um, about ways that they want to also um, combat high drug pricing using um, importing drugs or, or negotiating drugs um, internationally. So before we get the thoughts of Canada um, that Brandy is representing, we're first going to just give a little bit of background as to like what we kind of know now um, from a high level perspective. I'm not going to pretend that I'm a drug supply expert and that I know everything that's going on, um, but I do want to try to give you guys a high level overview um, of some of these proposals. And then I'll link in the show notes uh, some links to to the experts and what they are saying and real detailed out information about what these plans are. Um, what hurdles they they're, we're going to be facing and things to overcome and, and the impact it's going to have on the economy and drug pricing. So the first thing that um, that what I've seen happen is, as fr- especially from in Florida, is that what the legislation is being proposed, which still needs to, I think, be signed and confirmed by the White House. But the legislation is being proposed is that we would be able to negotiate. Um, we would be able to buy drugs directly from Canada. Now, it wouldn't be direct to consumer purchases, like where there's just like some online thing where anyone can go online and buy drugs, but it would be a wholesaler um, from over here buying from a wholesaler in Canada um, and negotiating prices that way. Um, so that's one thing that uh, that has been proposed um, from manufacturer to manufacturer. And then there's a couple of other things that the White House has also proposed um, in terms of being able to negotiate uh, directly with um, manufacturers and, um, and, and comparing that to what the, what a different country is paying for their drugs versus what the U S might be paying. Now there's going to be, there's a lot of hurdles to these things. Um, there's a lot of problems and then, you know, there's a lot of people that needs to be in agreement with this. Um, but just kind of setting that battleground playing field. Um, I'm going to, open it up to Brandy to get her thoughts, um, which we can either start with just the drug supply in general, um, or we can start just diving into, you know, what and how this would work and how, you know, what type of effect this would have in Canada um, on the economy there with their drugs and their drug supply and pricing and things like that. So Brandy, what's your thoughts? Okay. So I am aware, like I was aware that the um, politicians were sort of, uh, encouraging 
their citizens to come to Canada with their prescriptions, which meant that Canadians had a better um, chance of being able to prevent that if we want to. But when it comes to wholesaler versus wholesaler, that is, I didn't know that that was what they were proposing. Um, So that is a really big issue because there's no healthcare practitioner regulations that stop it from happening. Whereas right now we do, I do get prescriptions from Americans, but it requires a Canadian co-signing doctor. So a Canadian doctor will charge a small fee for a patient to come to their clinic and, you know, maybe 75 or a hundred dollars or so. And then they will look at their prescription, maybe even call their doctor and then write a prescription under their name that they can fill at a Canadian pharmacy, even though they're an American citizen. And from what I've read, I see that Americans are allowed to bring back into their country three months of um, medication intended for personal use. Is that accurate? So that I'm not sure if I've seen that legislation um, come through. That might be a specific state that I haven't seen, but um, oh, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna look that up and see if I could find it as we as we kind of talk through some of this. But um, what I did, at least from the Florida's uh, legislation, it did not involve actual patients going to Canada, and I'm I'm almost starting to think that because of the um, especially maybe the proximity even that it might be some of the more Northern states that are exploring like types of legislation that involve just kind of going to Canada, getting um, prescriptions or medications and coming back. Although if you look at the grand scheme of some pricing, it actually might be cheaper to buy a flight ticket, go to Canada, get the drug, buy a flight back, and it'll still actually be overall cheaper um, than their actual medication would be. So I can definitely see that being um, economical, uh, reasons, but that's not something that I saw in the Florida legislature. But I'm see if I can find that information. Okay, so um, it, it's funny. Ever since this happened and came to light, it, when was that? Just even a few weeks ago, I think. I have been seeing so many Americans come into the pharmacy all the way from Minneapolis, which is about an eight or nine hour drive from where I currently live, um, and buying as much insulin as they possibly could because we don't require a prescription for it. So. They can buy whatever insulin they want, but I'm also seeing issues where their brand, like your brand names are different from ours and they don't have an old package with them or anything. They just know what brand name in the U.S. they use. So they're asking for it. And like truly the the cashier at the pharmacy could sell that insulin Um pass it by a pharmacist quickly and if the pharmacist doesn't take a good look and make sure that it's the same generic name it could get like the wrong insulin could be given to a patient yeah oh man that's so crazy to think about um you know what also poses a problem is when you look at larger scale like that's that's one thing right like going and dealing with dealing with it from an individual standpoint but when you look at what some of like the nation, like some of the other states are proposing, if it's large bulk amount of medications being supplied and transferred, we have uh, different mechanisms in the U.S. to monitor that and to track that using specific like um, national drug codes and other drug identifiers. But it doesn't translate over to what Canada has, like what you got, how you guys are using that. So even even from a 
a perspective of just managing a database and, in, and ensuring the track, the traceability of some of these medications, it's going to be a huge challenge to overcome. For sure. And then there's going to be the situation. My, my good example of Americans coming to pharmacies for insulin is you guys use Novolog, which is the insulin aspart. We call it Novo Rapid up here. Mm. So I've already had to intercept a couple of conversations um, between the assistants and the patients who are trying to deliberate which insulin they need, um, where they say, well, we don't have Novolog, we have Humalog. And the patient says, oh, yeah, that, that sounds correct, because you guys do have Humalog down there. And they're like, oh, well, it's Canada, they just name it differently. But Humalog is not Novolog. Novolog is what we call Novo Rapid. So there's already this opportunity for two different similarly named products to be out in the American supply. And like I can I can just see medication errors happening because you guys are possibly going to have nearly double the amount of different names for drugs. Yeah. That's such a that's such a good point. I mean, just the safety aspects is gonna be hard and then um, you know, even going up to the scale, it's like, what about counterfeits? That's even, that's a whole nother issue to, to worry about. But, um, talk to me about like the drug shortage. Like what can, what could you see? Like, let's just say there starts to become like a larger influx of that, because I know people doing it now, legislation or not. Like I know people that are going online and buying these drugs. Um, when I say I know people, like I've heard of patients doing them uh, that, that are doing that when I was working in the pharmacy and then, you know, people are going and buying these medications. So talk to me about how that would have an effect on kind of drug shortages and things like that. Okay. So um, just to comment on another aspect of what you just said with the online pharmacies, there's only, I know when I was in BC, cause I'm in Ontario now for anyone who listened to my previous uh, guest appearance. Um, so in BC, we only had, I think three legitimate internet pharmacies. Um there's an estimated 35,000 online pharmacies in the world, and 96% of them are illegal or not certified. Um, wow. So already, the count like if if we're even driving patients, like we're bringing awareness to Americans who are paying insane amounts of money for drugs, that they might be able to get on the Google and check out what their options are right now, just because this is getting news coverage. So they go on to one of these supposed Canadian pharmacies. It looks legit. They buy a product. Some of these like not certified Canadian pharmacies. Um, and I even interviewed at one and obviously didn't take the job. Um, it turns out what they do is they, outsource to places like India and China for their medications. And a lot of the stuff ends up being counterfeit. Yeah. Um, wow. So that like, and that's small scale in, in comparison to what your government is, uh, is proposing. Like that's just a few pharmacies or a, a you know, a small fraction of patients, but um Counterfeit drugs, as long as it's regulated and they're coming, like the drug supplies coming from Canada, I'm not really too worried about that because we don't have that problem. Like the drugs that we allow into our country are completely 
backed by Health Canada, go through a stringent approval process, et cetera. So our supply is pretty good. It's just that by virtue of patients going online or even thinking about this and, and starting to shop around, that they may start to buy from pharmacies because they never really thought of this idea before yeah. that are providing counterfeit drugs. And actually, I shouldn't say that Canada is completely innocent because there was a huge case, which I implore you to look up later. Um, this Manitoba pharmacist was selling, I think he got fined like $34 million and they oh wanted God. to put him on house arrest. I don't know what the outcome was of the trial, but it was a huge deal. It was years back now. He was selling counterfeit cancer drugs to oh American citizens. That's crazy. Can you imagine? Um, so needless to say, he got his license taken away, but I, I'll have to check and see what else happened to him. I hope he went to jail. Yeah. Um, with drug shortages in Canada, we're having a major issue. The reason why our drug prices are so low compared to yours, well, compared to not even just compared to yours, but low in general is because over the last 10 years or so, the government has sort of strong armed all the drug companies into uh, maximum prices that they're allowed to charge for patented products. And then the generics at the very first cut that happened, I think they said, well, the generic is not allowed to be any more than 20% of its um, innovator um, counterpart. So then the generic companies who I'm sure, are you familiar with the whole rebate process? Does that happen down there? Yeah, well, we have a rebate system down here. I don't know how if if it's compares. is it on the up and up. Well, that's been huge for us, and it's been terrible. Um, I mean, that's okay. that's a lot of the, a lot of our uh, drug cost problems, and um, is, it has rebate issues involved in it. Okay, so that's that's been I a known see. thing in our in our industry, though. But if you want to go over that from from a Canada perspective, that'd be. Well, I think probably, I mean, this was the first semester I was in pharmacy school that this whole um, cut to the rebates or the generic prices occurred and it changed the industry like overnight. Um, I had a co-op placement lined up and they, my school required that we were paid because it was 40 hours a week of work. And then um, also four months straight and we weren't, we never had any summers off or anything like that. So our school tried to do us a favor and said, it's mandatory that it's 40 hours a week and you're paid. I was on my way back to Northern Ontario for my co-op placement with Shoppers Drug Mart when they called me and told me I don't have a job anymore. You know, sorry, sorry to interrupt. You know, we, we were, (laughs) we're forced to do that for free. For a whole year? Most schools are. Oh, okay. I just wasn't sure. Yeah. Was. Okay. It was, I think it was unique to my university. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, yeah. Um, and so like the rebate thing, we were operating like, just like that, like what it sounds like you guys were, and it was driving the drug prices very high. And when the government discovered that, they said, nope, we are going to mandate that generic um, versions of drugs can only be 20% of the patented drug price. And so all of a sudden they went from being, I don't know, maybe 70% of the price to 20%. And so what happened was the generic companies rebates back to the pharmacies. Um, those also got cut. Um, then the next year, 
and then even less. And they would start picking and choosing certain molecules like the statins. And they'd say a torvastatin is going to be 10% now. Um, so the cuts just like, they're still coming. It's still happening. In wow. fact, in Ontario right now, there's talk about getting rid of meds checks altogether, like medication reviews. So, um, there's just, there's so many cuts occurring mm. and what happens when generic companies can't make the money that they used to make off of their drugs is production slows down. Mm. So we have so many shortages right now in the last like two or three years, it's just been really difficult to deal with. Uh, I looked up the data. It said that in uh, where I wrote it down somewhere Uh, right Mm. now, there are 8,000 reports of drug shortages in Canada, but there, some are actual and some are very temporary or just in certain areas. Um, There was a report that in December of 2018, we had 1,700 actual drug shortages. We've had shortages in the last like six months or so of, or I should say maybe a year, EpiPens, Wellbutrin, Twinrix. I've had people come in for their booster shot of their Twinrix, and I don't have any Twinrix for them. So they've paid to go to a travel clinic. You know, they've paid maybe a $50 consult fee to see a nurse practitioner or in BC pharmacist could could do it with like directives. Um, they pay for the travel clinic fee. They pay like $160 for the first shot. They come back for their second shot and they can't get it because it's not available. So they've essentially wasted $200 and they might get hep A and B while they're on their vacation. Wow. So like that's I, like that's the mildest like, that's just an inconvenience mm-hmm. really yeah. compared to some of the other like things that happen with drug shortages like i had a woman um the other day she was frantic she came in because we've had a big problem with arbs um they're all short yeah. almost well that's so, here too because of all those re- you guys had a problem with all the recalls from the impurities yeah yeah major so I spend like at least one hour out of every shift cumulatively faxing doctors back and forth asking like, this is on back order. Can we sub it for this? Yeah. And some of these doctors can be difficult to deal with. They're like, well, my other patients aren't having any problems because they happen to be at a pharmacy where they had a bunch like sort of stockpiled or, you know, they're on a different ARB that's not back ordered. And, so then they send the sacks back being like, well, maybe the, can you find a different pharmacy the patient can go to? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll spend, you know, one hour on the phone calling every other competitor in town trying to get rid of my patient. Yeah. So um, for anyone that's, that's looking to hear our, our previous episode, uh, that's episode 23. Um, if you want to hear uh, Brandy's first interview on here. And then for anyone that's interested about learning about rebates and um, the drug pricing, the drug pricing and kind of supply chain episode on Arx Radio, um, that's episode 54, if you want to tune into that. Um, and one thing I wanted to mention about, you mentioned pricing and how uh, Canada has kind of gotten a stronghold of the, of the manufacturers. And the reason is because the entire country, I think, um, does the negotiating for the drug pricing, whereas over here, 
Um, the reason why, and that's why that's been a key way for you guys to keep drug prices low. But over here, um, we don't have a you know big conglomerate that's negotiating for the entire country. Um, all the different health plans and PBMs um, are doing, and the wholesalers are doing like the manufacturing all individually directly with the manufacturers. One thing I did not mention here is that we do have Medicare that is negotiating drug prices, but again, it's different from like on behalf of the entire country, like Canada's doing. Okay, back to the show. Um, so that's one reason that also, you know, amongst a lot of other things, but that's a contributing factor as to why our prices have been able to remain much higher as compared to one like Canada's. So, Richard, a question for you that I have is why don't you have a federal agency that does that like we do? Like, why is it that your government would just rather put it all on Canada and take advantage of our very small drug supply comparatively that is that's a million dollar question um but it the the answer is probably trillions or billions of dollars and the reason i think that we don't have that right now is because of lobbying and because of everything that happens um you know in our system it's all political and what happens is is there's there's too much of an influence that politician that um, industries have on politicians and, and that's in every industry. It's in healthcare. Um, you know, it's in, um, gun reform, like literally everything that, like all the decisions that happen in politics, a lot of it is usually backed by some form of lobbying and PBMs and like some of these health plans have such a strong hold, um, on some of that legislation that, that gets passed through. And I think because of that, there's, that's why we're, we're, we don't have that conglomerate. I mean, even recently, there was an issue that we're trying to fight against. When I say we, like the, the pharmacy industry, especially independent pharmacies, is fighting against um, this thing called DIR fees or clawbacks, which is basically um, fees that gets taken out of basically reimbursement because of um, certain rules that PBMs have in place. And uh, nothing actually, like it, we were hoping that that was going to get passed or, or it was going to get looked at, like, and, and with change coming, and that just didn't happen. Um, and, you know, there's not real, a real explanation as to why. Um, but I can almost guarantee it probably has something to do with politics and lobbying. Um, so that's one real, I think, barrier to a lot of major change that people hope to see in our government. It's because of that lobbying money and because... Um, that lobbying is able to have such an influence on political decisions in our country. Right. So it's, it's, wow. it's definitely, it's definitely tough. And what's going to happen is, um, one, one thing that I saw that was fearful for Canadians. And so I, I do think that there was an article that came out that was from a representative from, um, the Canadian government or, or the Canadian health service is that you guys are actually officially going to be opposing any sort of official drug importation from the yes. U.S. to you guys. And and one of the main things that was cited was that, um, or two of the main things that were cited was one, it's it's going to possibly um, cause drug shortages. Like you, you guys are already having drug shortages. And then for you to have another source of less drugs in the country, because, right. you know, Americans want to come and buy it for maybe a little bit more than they could have would have made would possibly cause a shortage. Um, the other thing is, is that it could actually increase prices in Canada, like for drugs. So that's like another big concern um, that I that, that was cited in from the Canadian government was that you guys might see an increase in price 
in, like right. for your own patients. Because of supply and demand. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's definitely very concerning and it's, it's both sides of the coin for me because although I'm not a pharmacy owner, nor do I ever want to be, um, I can see from a business perspective and it's important for me to do things that are also in the interest of good business practices. Um, we obviously want to sell product and we don't technically, we don't have a shortage of products that Americans are coming to us for. In my fridge, I have, you know, 12 boxes of whatever insulin they're looking for, and it's no problem for me to give it to them. And we're happy to, to make the sale. But if this is happening all over the place, it's different. And if it's happening, if we suddenly don't have the access to the supply from the wholesaler, then we have a major problem. Yeah, I have, a, I have a quick question. Um, are generic price, because I know you said that there were some laws in place for what generics could cost versus like the, the brand, what we call the brand name. Are there major differences in pricing in Canada for a, a generic versus a brand? Yes. So 20% or 15% just depends on which province you're in and where they're at with their controlled pricing. Um, now, is that is that a minimum or is that what the actual cost ends up being? Because that's significantly that's a significantly tighter gap than what we see here. Um, so if a drug that's generally publicly covered and we don't have a universal pharmacare plan, they've been talking about it for a long time. They seem to be the general public thinks it's coming very soon. I don't know. It's kind of been in the talks for 15 years or so so I don't think it's happening that soon but um, generally like medications that are essential to health so I'm excluding things like Viagra because Viagra and it's generic are very close in price Um, it'll be a big gap like a, a big difference in price gotcha okay but the essential ones not so much Right. That's where you'll see like it's 10% in price, like 10% of the brand. Yeah. (laughs) Why? What is it like there? Because like, let's just say you can get a generic medication here for like 10 bucks for something. If like Mm -hmm. a like if a patient was like, no, I want the brand, like and they want the brand, they can easily get charged like $300 for that medication. So you're saying that it's more like a cup like one or two percent of the brand price oh wait i might be semantically thinking of this differently then um like i'm thinking of it like Like if a if a medication here is if a brand name is a hundred dollars the generic's going to be like ten dollars oh okay gotcha is it ten percent of not okay so that so that's definitely similar but we don't have this type of standards because it could be like a thousand percent here Right. And it changes <laughs> like almost day by day. I think you were telling me last time. Yeah. Um, we're, that, that happens where it's it, the pricing a lot of times is fluctuating. And even if you go from one pharmacy to the next, I mean, the computer system will just spit out a different price Wow. Um, for that patient. Um, which is I why can't we imagine have, being an independent pharmacy owner there. It's tough because the, like, and I, and I wrote this article, um, you know, a couple of years back and it was basically talking about how you know, buying medications for patients have kind of become similarly to like buying a loaf of bread. Like people just want to 
go to get the best price for it. And what, what it forces that type of fluctuation kind of forces patients to kind of shop around at times. Like, you know, they'll try four or five different pharmacies, including some some online resources to find the best price for their medication because they, they don't care where it's going to come from. Um, a lot of times they just want to get it at the best price. Wow. So it's hard. I'm just looking up our pricing right now. So just to give you like an idea, oh, yeah. um, you guys curious. have McKesson there as well, right? Yeah, we do. So that's another thing that concerns me is that McKesson is obviously in both Canada and the U.S. So they want nothing more than to kind of facilitate this, right? So I I don't know what the um, business like pros and cons are from like a, from a distributor standpoint. Like I, I don't know where they'd have a role. Yeah. I just don't know. I just don't have enough information. Yeah. So, you know, like I'm I'm trying to wrap my brain around it, but I'm not a math kid. I'm I'm really just a nerdy clinical pharmacist. Yeah. Um. So ninety tablets of brand name Lipitor, ten milligrams. One hundred and seventy-five fifty-four. Not for ninety tablets. For ninety, what I, roughly I could, would it be there for brand names? I can almost guarantee you, not that much. Let me see if, like, hold on. Let me see if there's like a way I can even look this up here. I don't know how you just pull that up, but I don't. We usually don't have a way of checking like official drug prices when we're not at work. Well, I'm just looking at the wholesalers <laughs> ordering website right now. Oh, through my store. Login. Um, but then the generic 90 tablets is $16.71. Let me see if, I, if it'll give me a brand price here. Mm. Now, I'm not able to see like what a brand that would cost, but I can guarantee you it's going to be more than that. I'm seeing like just online, just even looking at some of the generic pricing, some, yeah. es- some estimates of generic pricing for that is... Um, is between and you know i told you that kind of fluctuates it, what yeah. this this particular website i'm seeing that it, it can be an average price of 127 dollars for the generic oh wow for 90 so um but i mean there's all i mean there's this is fluctuates because if you put a discount card on it it can go down to like 10 bucks um oh so that there's all different types of ways to get it to be cheaper but um that's just like kind of like the average price that i'd say that that's pretty interesting though yeah. I, it's crazy that you guys have like that standard of of the like kind of 10 20 percent thing yeah it hasn't been great for the pharmacy industry but um from a taxpayer point of view i get it yeah the thing that bothers me a lot is that like the work that it requires to get these shortage to work around these shortages with the physicians I just, six out of 13 of our provinces don't allow pharmacists to perform therapeutic substitution. So I have to get back and forth with these doctor's offices and try to get low certain switched to, you know, candesertin. And it ends up being a lapse of a week or two before the patient really gets the medication. Well, you want to hear something's going to blow your mind. That's almost non-existent in um, the States. Like unless you, unless you're, you are um, 
working either at a health system or the VA, um, which is a very small percentage of, you know, um, pharmacies, unless or unless you're in some sort of collaborative practice agreement, you can't you can't interchange like that without prescriber approval at, in any pharmacy in all 50 states. Oh, my goodness. So we're doing that all the time. And that's for everything. That's not even just in drug shortages. It's, it's like because it's the cost is too high or the insurance doesn't cover it. Um, a lot of times we have the medication back there has nothing to do with a drug shortage, but we, but we, and we know it makes sense to substitute something, but we can't, like, we can't do it. We have to call the the physician's office. Wow. So you have a, you have a whole province that you can do that in, or a couple provinces that you can do that. Like a, a pharmacist can just do that in. Seven. Damn, that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, it varies province by province. Um, it just depends. Like in BC, we could do only do therapeutic substitution within a certain, like, I think there were five groups of drugs. So there would be like anti-inflammatory. So you could switch naproxen to say diclofenac um, based on coverage scenarios or just uh, therapeutic reasons. Um, and uh, ACE inhibitors, I think ARBs, which would be so amazing right now. I'm can't believe I left that province a month ago, kicking myself. But um, <laughs> I think a couple of others as well. So also, can you guys do like emergency supplies? Yes, we can do that for certain types of drugs. Um, we okay. can give uh, a three-day emergency supply. Oh, okay. Yeah. In BC, we could adapt, which meant we could extend a prescription if they if it was a chronic medication, not a psych med. Um, they had been on a stable dose for six months. We could extend it for up to six months. Oh man, that's crazy. Yeah. Cool. In Ontario, what I'm finding is I am not able to do that. So it's been a little different. You can't do that anywhere in the U.S. unless you're like working for the VA probably. Huh. That's wild. How do you guys uh, track? So we use um, something called an NDC, which is a national drug code. And it's basically like a serial number for, um, for medications. And within that number you know who the manufacturer is, um, what the medication is and like the package size. So it's like three different variables in that NDC. Do you, and I know you guys have, I think some form of tracking using a specific number, but do you, what, what details can you give us about that particular number? Um, so I think is NDC it's listed on every bottle. It is the Holy grail of checking for a pharmacist. Yes. Uh, we have a DIN, a drug identification number. And we, it doesn't tell you what the pack size is unless it's insulin because some things come in vials, some things come in preloaded disposable pens, some come in cartridges meant to go in a non-disposable pen. So those, all three insulins will have different DINs, even though it's the same insulin. But besides that, every drug has a DIN and you can actually look it up on something. I always just, I don't know the website, I just always Google Health Canada product database and you can use that to find out you can search by any term and it will tell you if you search by the din what medication which strength um not the pack size but what manufacturer that is oh that's cool well 
you guys are already saving like time on your lives because DIN is just one syllable and NDC is three syllables. So every time <laughs> we have to say that, we just lose time in our life. <laughs> it sounds much cooler. <laughs> I'm going to start calling it a DIN from now on in Do America. It. So let's get that word spread out. Um, and that's what you guys used. Do you guys use that for your verification at all? Like when you're. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's like the very first thing that I look at before I look at anything else. When I'm checking a prescription that a tech has prepared in a vial, um, stock bottles in there, and I can specifically see the DIN on the label and the DIN on the hard copy of the prescription that I'm checking. Yeah. So one thing, um, one last note I have here about this whole um, kind of drug importation thing. Um, Adam Fine from um, Drug Information Channels, I think that's his, his company's name, but um, he's one of the experts in, um, I think it's just drug channels. He's one of the experts in um, like drug supply, uh, real, real key pharmacy um, influencer in terms of um, policy and um, drug chain. And he wrote a very detailed um, article, which I'm going to link in the show notes about one of the other big hurdles um, that comes into play with uh, the whole drug importation thing. And it's something called um, track and trace. And apparently in 2013, um, there was a law that was signed that required um, manufacturers and wholesalers to um, basically develop a system to track drugs better, to prevent counterfeits. And it was something that was extending beyond the NDC and it was adding a whole nother category of a number um, mm. to, to manage that. And apparently these, like these, you know, the industry has spent millions of dollars, um, to build this system. And, and it's not even required. The crazy thing is, is that they're still working on it now where it's not even required to be finished until 2023. But they say that if you try to introduce, it, it basically really tightens and secures our drug supply. So if you introduce a whole new system of drugs into the supply, it basically like breaks all the laws and all the systems that that particular track and trace program has in place because you guys are not using this, the particular numbers and standards that we have here um, for tracking. So um, basically what Adam Fine has said is that it's almost an impossible way for us to do that without essentially breaking our laws and kind of breaking our entire um, medication uh, tracking systems. Interesting. Yeah. I am definitely going to look him up. Um, but so if it's happening way above the start of that chain, like when the wholesaler down there imports from our wholesaler, which I'm just like McKesson's the biggest Canadian wholesaler, they're definitely going to have no problem just transferring their stock across the border. But a couple of questions. One thing is we don't have an NDC listed on our product. So you guys are going to have to incorporate DINs as well. Yeah. Or they said that you could re like repackaging is also a potential, but oh even, boy. but even that, I don't like that. Well, yeah. Well, I know, but I, I think there's actually a lot of, um, a lot of the, allegedly a lot of the contracts that are in place, um, prevent, repackaging after it was already um in, like um distributed essentially so that's i mean that's a that's a potential solution but it's it's likely not going to happen wow. because of what all the all the contracts are in place huh. um but yeah i mean it's almost like they'd ha we'd have to build a whole new system another tracking system to essentially manage that sort of um 
you know, tracking. So, and so also big pharma in the U S is way more savage than they are up here. Aren't they going to be opposed to this and finding every way to stop this? That's also something I'm hearing that's going to get pushed back because essentially the minute let, let's just say Canada was on board and they're like, Hey, you know, Hey States, we're going to help you guys out, you know, here, take all the drugs for cheap. Essentially the pharmaceutical companies are going to end up losing money. Um, so what I'm also seeing is that there's going to be significant pushback um, from also from the manufacturers or, or and like um, other people that are involved in drug pricing that are, you know, essentially taking a cut off off of that um, transaction because those people are going to lose money. So um, I think that there's definitely going to be some pushback. I've read some opinion pieces about the because this this was already looked at and I think it was 06 and then again in I think 2013 and um, CPHA Canadian Pharmacy Association they've had a like a, a statement about this dating back to mid 2000s um, they they disagree like the US what the politicians think it will happen is that if they, um, if they allow competition in, the pharmaceutical companies in the U.S. will be forced to drop their prices. So I almost get the, the opinion that the politicians are doing this because they think that they'll get their way in a couple years when these U.S. pharmaceutical companies are suffering so much they're forced to lower their prices. Yeah, but that that has to be that's true, and that um, uh, Desantis, which is like our the Florida governor, he actually hinted at that that engaging in a in a drug importation program from Canada um, is going to force because it's almost like opening the market a little bit more and creating the competition for the um, pharmaceutical manufacturers are going to end up being forced to lower the prices. But that's given that it could actually work, like, and it has to be successful because. We can say we can like bluff. Essentially, we can bluff all we want and say, yeah, we're going to if you don't lower your prices, we're going to get them from Canada. But then if, you know, Canada, I, you know, if you guys don't end up doing it, one, because of economical reasons or just because of feasibility of actually tracking those medications and are impossible, then essentially then the manufacturers don't have to budge, you know. Totally. So it's in their best interest for it to go through, but it doesn't look like we are as Canadians are being very cooperative. However, the letter, like the statement that 15, I think it was 14 or 15 different groups, almost all like healthcare practitioner, like colleges, authorities, et cetera, um, wrote it, it. It still doesn't really seem to have the support of the Canadian federal government. And we have an election coming up and our leader wants to do whatever is going to appease to the people. So it's hard to say what's really going to happen. We can say all we want, but the government at the end of the day has all control over whether we allow this exportation to happen. Yeah. I saw that we looked at this also, I think it was between 2003 and 2006, like you mentioned um, that the U S was trying to do something and that, but the um, Canada even back then had opposed it. So um, I, I definitely think that, which it makes sense, you know, if, especially if you look at some of the things we mentioned, like potential price for increase or drug shortages, like 
you know, Canada has no duty to serve us, you know, at the expense of, you know, its own economy and its own patients. So, um, you know, I, I can I can't argue and, and say that what a, what terrible, you know, decision that is by the government if there's going to be a profound effect on, you know, the, its own citizens. Right. And it just seems like it would be such a better decision to somehow bring some law, like pass some bills that that require that the pharmaceutical industry in the U.S. is has to abide by these rules. Yeah. And that's, it's such like a, because there's so much politics around it, it's really difficult yeah. to even think about, you know, what are going to be the next steps and how, and, and how likely are they going to go through because of all the lobbying that's involved. But I mean, it's, that kind of stuff's way above my pay grade though. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Yeah. I never, ever thought that I would be talking to another pharmacist on a podcast about imports and exports. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Me neither. Honestly, if you told me this, Two years ago, like I have no idea what you're talking about. So yeah, crap, but cool. Well, um, Brandy. So uh, to finish off here, um, unless you have any any of the final words, I do want to ask a question that I didn't ask you in our our last episode. This has nothing to do with pharmacy. If you were able to take one person out to dinner, this person has to be alive and famous, so they should have a Wikipedia page. You get to take them out to dinner for one night. Who would that be, and why? Pink. Really? She is so underrated and she is such a badass and an intelligent neo-feminist. Love that. I would not have expected that. Maybe I would have actually. Look into (laughs) it. She is seriously like the biggest female role model for girls out there. And Mm. she's so intelligent, well-spoken and intelligent. Just amazing. Awesome. Well, how can, if people want to connect with you, um, let them know now. And if you have any other thoughts you want to share with the listeners. I'm on Instagram. My Instagram name is bmabes. It's a play on my first and last name, if you're wondering. Um, <laughs> B-M-A-B-E-Z, or as you guys say, Z. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't really go on Facebook anymore. So that's pretty much it. Cool. Brandy, thank you so much for being on the show again. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I'm going to post a lot of different resources in the show notes in case you want to read more. Um, about the proposed legislation and all the um, potential barriers to overcome. Make sure to connect on any of your favorite social media platforms. Oh, and check out the pins on uh, rxradio.fm on the website. Um, They're really cool. We have the little emoji pin um, and the classic kind of motor and pestle pin on on the store now. So definitely check that out. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. And I hope you have a great rest of your day.